of All Black News, we look back. We look at how each and every week on this show, we report on our brothers and sisters that are in the streets risking their very lives, ensuring that for every injustice, there's a fist in the air demanding action. Now for every black life taken, there's a voice for the voiceless. And for every fallen warrior, there's a kid inspired, knowing that he or she too can be a black superhero when they grow up. So yes, today Chadwick Boseman is deep in our hearts. And that's because today is Revolt Black News in Retrospect. Every black person in the United States is going to stand up. We're tired. I'm tired of looking at cameras and seeing these young black and brown people suffer. A million people showing up in the streets every day, every week. We could get so much accomplished. Look at what we've done just in the past three weeks. Do what you say this country is supposed to be about, the land of the free for all. It has not been free for black people, and we are tired. I've been doing fucking police brutality videos ever since my teeth been fucked up, and the only shit that changed has been my fucking teeth. It felt like that cop had his knee on all of our necks, Mm. meaning black men. Yeah. To see... Um, what continues to happen with the police brutality towards my kind? Um, continue to see what the uh, what goes on with the, the just the unjust. Um, it's just it's very troubling. When a lot of black people in the same area, they automatically think we're looters. They think they think yeah. like, like Trump yeah. call us yeah. terrorists. You know all type of stuff. It, it, it's not a crime to be black in America. I feel like right now it's a revolution going on. If you look outside, like it's a revolution going on. You know what I'm saying? That's, it's just it's just a lot and it's emotional. Those conversations are already emasculating to basically say, forget about justice in an interaction with the police. Come home alive. So the thing is, is that the work will continue to be there. And we have to make sure that once this is done, is that we have to try to make change occur when it comes to police brutality. You have people in here that need your help. This is when you and y'all, y'all stand together with the community, with society, to stop the to stop the governmental oppression. Period. It's known that I can bring harm your way by just telling someone that you're black. That's a f-ing problem. I feel like you know, say we gotta stand for something or fall for anything. I have the same questions that you have when I'm watching this stuff at this point, and I'm like, we we cannot take it anymore. Say your name. We want what we've always wanted since the beginning of being in this f-ing country. That is the f-ing right, the same right that all these other people have. You have my word that I'm going to do everything in my power and, and until my dying day, my last breath, to do everything I can create the change that is needed to normalize equality because black lives matter. A two for a truth and a life for a life. We refuse to live in hell while you live in paradise. Being black in America is like rolling a paradise. But the stakes are way higher. You gambling with my life. Black lives matter.
So we all know that right now it's extremely popular to be about social justice, and the sports world is doing it more than ever. But there's also those who have been about that life. So let's take a look at my conversation with Meta World Peace, who changed the name on his jersey before everybody else. You know, since 1999, when I came into the NBA, I was already in that mindset. People know what I was about, representing my neighborhood and things that we've been through. And even when I got drafted, I said I wanted to represent Queensbury. Shout out to my hood after the championships. So I, it's certain things that I've already been the movement. <laughs> I am the movement, okay. you know, um, in a sense, right? So now I see people starting to become aware of different things that have been happening. I've seen this is eight years old. <laughs> there ain't nothing new. So would I have a, a BLM shirt? I don't know. Um, it depends. Not that I'm not for the movement, just I have my own opinions that I like to be heard. I'll just push back a little bit because I hear you. I hear your point. You were essentially ahead of your time uh, being aware of the injustices against black people and black men for a long time. That makes sense. I resonate with that. But there is a moment, right, that, that is upon us right now where the collective is trying to take action. Do you see yourself being a part of that collective? And do you think that matters? Do you think... You know, that, that that's Listen, important that everybody be on the same page. This is my thing. I'm from the streets of New York City and my people that have been struggling for a long time. Now, I see like a lot. And I'm really grateful that all the other ethnicities are coming in. It was amazing. I was amazed when I was marching. Like, wow, so many uh, other ethnicities other than black people. So I really appreciate mm -hmm. that. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, uh, I would say a politician or, or historian, but. You know, you can see when things has gone wrong. So in New York City, we've been struggling and stressed for a long time. So when I seen this movement, for me personally, I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. And do you think right now in this moment, Meta, the Black Lives Matter movement right now, does it have the focus that you are looking for? Uh, listen, I, I, I like the Black Lives, um, Black Lives Matter movement because... I didn't know what it meant the first time it came out because me, I'm always asking questions. I'm from the streets of New York City, influenced by Harlem, Uptown, Queens. So we're always looking deeper. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're living in unprecedented times. And while much of this country's flaws are being exposed, many of our new leaders are being revealed. Fortunately, we've got some of them right here on the show. So let's listen back to a conversation between Kimberly Jones, Char Bates, and Brittany Patnett Cunningham, the leaders of tomorrow. My name is Brittany Packnett Cunningham, and I am here with two fellow incredible activists, Shar Bates and Kimberly Jones, to discuss leaders of the movement and the importance of transformation in this time. Um, so Kimberly, I actually want to start with you. I am a fan, 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 but I want to talk about the toll that this can take on black women. When you, whether you've been doing this for a month or for 10 years, we know that being the backbone of freedom work can really, really take a toll. Talk to us a little bit about how it has affected your life and how you have been dealing with it. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I was on a call with a, with another group of women uh, last night and we talked about how self-care is so super important when you're doing this kind of work um, because it is toil, you know, it does take a toil on you and it is taxing uh, predominantly because um, women in the movement and women that we're fighting for, all of the sisters who name, whose names we need to say, really don't get the attention, the airtime and the conversation one of the other things is what I've noticed, especially in, in recent months as everything got ramped up, is that I'm really proud of my sisters because sisters have been reaching out 
to each other. You know what I'm saying? Like Tamika reached out to me a few days ago and like, you know, several other sisters have reached out to me, even, uh, you know, sisters from the book world, like um, Angie Thomas, who wrote The Hate You Give, just sent me a text. Like, I'm just making, I know you're on those streets, sis. I'm just making sure you're okay and you're taking care of yourself and you're rested. And that narrative, the strong black woman trope, it follows us everywhere, right? It follows us through life. It even follows us into death. And I think sometimes that is actually underlying why so few people talk about what happens to black women as a result of police violence, as a result of racial violence, as a result of gendered violence. And we have to be clear, we're not saying that the women are more important. We're simply saying that black women Women, black trans women, we are just as important in the narrative um, as everyone else. So, Shar, what needs to happen in order to ensure that violence against women is quelled, not just on paper, but in real life? Whew, girl, um, that is something that we have been tackling um, in everyday life outside of the civil rights movement, protecting the matriarchs, because we are the matriarchs of not just our families, but of the communities. But it's almost as if we don't get our flowers until we can't smell them. Yeah. So I think that, you know, just in every day, finding out who, who the single mothers is in, the, in, the, in, in your community or in your building are, you know, who are the elderly, as well as, uh, as, well as talking to our young boys you know, about um, the, their interactions with girls, how they, how they handle rejection. It shouldn't take for things to go viral for the importance of our lives and our respect and our dignity to be reserved. As for me and what I imagine, if justice is like Dr. Cornell West says, what love looks like in public, then it is possible for us to live together as long as people are actually experiencing justice in real ways. Um, and that black people can not just survive, but thrive. And that black folks can not only live, but that the world doesn't kill the genius within us as we do so. I believe that we can make that true for black folks. I believe that we can make that true for marginalized people all over the globe. And we are seeing this moment as a global movement. And it is important for us not only to appreciate the solidarity we're getting from places like Brazil and Colombia and Palestine and so many other places, but that we also show them solidarity because guess what? Anti-blackness is global. There are women of color suffering all over the world. There are queer people, trans folks suffering all over the world. There are Jewish people suffering all over the world. There are folks who deserve justice. At the end of the day, I believe fully that justice is divine and that it is owed to all of us just like that check America needs to write to us for our ancestors who built this joint for free. And for Char, us, we're still building it for free. We, we still are the building it. We are the architects of school. We teach everybody. We, we are the architects We make the taste, baby. We make we the taste. We teach everybody what's popping. Yeah, we, we definitely make the taste and, and folks owe us for that and so much more. We owe both of you a debt of gratitude for spending your time with us today. Thank you so much, not only for this conversation, but for everything you do. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So glad that we touched back on that important conversation about the long overdue reparations from our black folks building this country for free. Now we got to step away real quick for a commercial break, but when we come back, we've got today's headlines. More Revolt Black News after this. The importance of this movie is not just for little brown boys and girls, but for all boys and girls to know that superheroes come in all colors. You are living in front of the camera. It's not fake. 
there's, there's, it's not a game. It's not. You're not just putting on. You're not playing. People want to see what's real, right? And it, that's not a trick. That's that's life. I am Chadwick's role in Black Panther really exposed the Black community to what Black excellence can be and is. As a Howard University student, it made me feel proud. His characters kind of always were fighting for what was right, and I feel like that's important. This man fought with colon cancer and continued to do the things that he loved. Superpower you wish you had in real life. Um, I wish I could freeze time. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. These are your headlines. Now, a petition has been posted on change.org asking for a Confederate monument in Anderson, South Carolina to be replaced with a statue of the hometown hero, the late Chadwick Boseman. Now, the petition has garnered over 50,000 signatures so far, but it would require approval from state lawmakers. And protesters in Los Angeles have continued for yet another day demanding justice for the killing of Dijon Kizzy. Now, the sheriff's office claims that Kizzy was stopped for riding his bicycle in violation of vehicle codes. Then he tried to run away, and then he was shot after allegedly dropping a bundle of items that included a handgun. Now, while officers were not wearing body cams, footage has surfaced from a nearby home security camera. Both neighbors and family members say that the officer's gunshots were completely unnecessary. And more Breonna Taylor news. Jamarcus Glover, her ex-boyfriend, reportedly rejected a plea deal that was offered to him earlier this summer that asked him to name Brianna as part of an organized crime syndicate and was also listing her as a co-defendant. Now, a spokesperson for the prosecutor's office has admitted that listing Brianna as a, quote, co-defendant was a mistake, but went on to clarify that it should have said co-conspirator. And despite many city officials denouncing Trump's visit, President Trump did, in fact, go to Kenosha, Wisconsin, to speak on the recent shooting of Jacob Blake and the protests that have ensued. Let's watch the footage. The violence has stopped from the time the National Guard came. I mean, literally, when they set their foot on this location, it stopped. Now, before his trip, President Trump claimed to have spoken to the Blake family's pastor. Let's look. Well, I spoke with the pastor, wonderful man, the family's pastor, and... Uh, I thought it would be better not to do anything where there are lawyers involved. But these claims from the president are contradicted by Jacob Blake Sr., who gave clarification on this so-called family pastor. Let's watch. First of all, I'm not going to play politics. This is my son's life we're talking about. Second of all, we don't have a family pastor. And Joe Biden flew to Kenosha today to meet with the Blake family. That was a meeting that was not granted to President Trump because of his refusal to have the family's lawyer present. 
Now, we want to make it clear that Jacob Blake's father, Mr. Blake Sr., has made it clear he's not interested in playing politics here. He wants the focus to be about his son's recovery and healing. But Blake Sr. is very aware, as he says, that there are two different justice systems in this country, one for black people and another for white people. And then, of course, we've got William Barr, the attorney general of the country, chief lawyer for the federal government, of course, saying that he just doesn't see the phenomenon of black people in this country being seen as suspects before they're seen as citizens. And in some very positive news, Forbes has reported that Hollywood legend Tyler Perry is officially a billionaire. Forbes estimates that Perry made over $1.4 billion in pre-tax income since 2005. You know, Tyler Perry has been talking about it for many years now. He says the key to his wealth is his ownership. He says basically it's different when you own the lights and the sets. Your profits, of course, become higher. And earlier this week, Citizen Ed put on a virtual town hall to look at real solutions for educational justice beyond this pandemic. Now, here's a clip of where they discuss technology transforming the future of education. So I think the current circumstances are going to force us to do uh, what we've actually been very intentionally trained not to do, which is to unify, to get to know our neighbors, to find common ground so that we can meet these needs and solve these problems together. And that's the order of the day that I think that we're dealing with. And a huge shout out to the chairman of Revolt, Mr. Sean Combs and Dr. Steve Perry. They're opening a new college prep school called Capital Prep Bronx. The school will operate under fully remote learning while serving almost 200 underserved sixth and seventh grade students. In a statement, Mr. Combs said, my dream has always been to provide children in communities like the Bronx the high quality education that they deserve. Listen, you guys know I am a champion of education advocacy. I think it's a game changer and I think it's fundamental to closing the wealth gap in this country. So I'm extremely proud of the work that Mr. Combs and Dr. Steve Perry are doing in this process. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But when we return, we're going to bring back that mental health conversation that I had with Charlemagne the God. But first, Dr. Steve Perry, who's now opened up three prep schools with Mr. Combs, is actually with us to share his opinions on schools reopening and its impact on the students. Let's take a look. What's up, everybody? This is Dr. Steve Perry, head of schools at the Capital Preparatory Schools, here to talk to you about the COVID virus and returning to school. I think schools should open because it's imperative that we provide the level of education that our children need. We also must pay attention to science. And so where your community's scientists are saying that it is not safe, then the option must be given for there to be online or hybrid learning. When we listen to what scientists are telling us, when we listen to what directors of health are telling us, what they're saying is when you put the precautions in place, especially at the higher grades, that being middle school to college, where you can make sure social distancing is being practiced, when you can make sure that children are wearing their masks, and when you can make sure that the precautions are being met, then it is a place that is relatively safe, nowhere safer than sitting in your home by yourself. However, that's not going to get the children the education that they need and deserve. As a head of schools, I spent the day making sure that our buildings were as safe as possible, walking through, uh, making sure that the desks were separated in the way in which they should be, making sure we have hand sanitizers there, making sure all the PPE that we need. And again, reminding our, fa our faculty and colleagues of the importance of them communicating with our students, regardless of their age, about the importance of 
playing it safe. Thank you so much, Revolt, for giving us the opportunity to have this conversation about returning to school and COVID. Uh, I'm Dr. Steve Perry, and I'm out. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now, we know Black lives are incredibly vulnerable, as they've always been. But so, too, is something that doesn't really get enough attention, Black minds. So it's time to spotlight Black mental health. So we're going to go back to the conversation I had with the king of vocalizing the importance of Black mental health, my dear friend, Charlemagne the God. Let's watch. My whole life I had been dealing with anxiety and, you know, having panic attacks, didn't really have the language for it, didn't know what it was. And then about 10 years ago, um, you know, like on a, on a, and I say routine, on a routine visit to, to the doctor, you know, thinking something is wrong with my heart, you know, thinking I'm, I'm having a heart attack, like I'm having heart palpitations, like something has to be wrong with my heart this time. You know, the doctor finally said to me, like, do you, do you suffer from anxiety? And I was like, anxiety. And he was like, you know, yes, yeah, it sounds like you're having panic attacks. And I was like, oh. And then he asked me, was I stressed out about anything? And, you know, at the time I had been fired for the fourth time from radio. I was 31, 32 years old, back living at home with my mom. My daughter was like two years old. My, my, my wife was back home living with her mom in Mount's Corner, South Carolina. So, yeah, I was stressed out. I was collecting unemployment you checks. You had a couple things. Yeah, you had a couple things to be stressed out about. Yeah, it was quite a few things to be stressed out about. So when, when he said that to me, in my mind, I just felt like, okay, all I got to do is get back in position and everything will be okay. And then, you know, you get in position, you actually get put in the best position you've ever been in in your life, you know, which is all the success I've had with the Breakfast Club and everything else. Yeah. But, you know, you still have those feelings and you're still having those panic attacks and you're still having to go to the hospital. And now you couple that with, you know, the lifestyle, being out all night, getting up early in the morning, you know, drinking, smoking. Can you talk a little bit about how when the, the fame, the, the star shines so bright, and then that has the scrutiny on top of it, how that impacts you and how it impacts, you know, your celebrity friends and people, you know, because, because it's, you can't really protect your peace, you know, like, like, like when, when are you alone? Like when, 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 when is everything ever completely shut off? And it's very hard not to do this, right? It's very hard not to get on your phone, not to get on your computer and see what people are saying about you, you know? And, and it's right. just like, you'll see so many things that you feel like you have to constantly defend, but then you see things like, I don't want you to say, okay, I don't want to give that too much energy. energy. You know, I, I want to ignore it, but ignoring something doesn't make it go away. You know? So you really have to come to a point where you just realize, man, you know, the way other people feel about you is not the way that you should feel about yourself. And if you really don't quite know who you are, because if we're being totally honest with ourselves, we're constantly changing. Like the me at 42 isn't so. the same me. Yeah. The me at 42 isn't the I same me so. at 32. The me at 32 wasn't the same at 22. So I'm always a different version of my myself, right? I'm always somebody yeah. new. And it's like when you're when you're going through that process in real time with people and you're just trying to constantly figure yourself out, but then it's somebody else always another entity saying, no, you're this, and you can't tell me otherwise. Sometimes you do buy into that. Sometimes you do believe it. And that, yeah. that alone can drive you crazy. Before I let you go, you. three things, three things, mm -hmm. I want you to tell me three things that you do to protect your peace. I know one of them is, isn't it true that when you're on vacation, you don't look at your phone at all? Not at all. Turn it all the way off, throw it, throw it at the bottom of my wife's purse or the suitcase and don't even don't even touch it. Like, don't go near it for for, for two weeks at a time. And man, you'll be surprised right. what kind of reset that does for your 
for your brain. And one thing I loved that you talked about in your book that you do is in the, cause you wake up at what, three, three or four in the morning, something crazy. Before you mm. even look at your phone though, there's a couple of other things that you do. What do you do before you even engage in social? I pray. And then I have mm. uh, three daily affirmation books that I read out of. Um, one is your, 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 your best life by Joel Osteen. The other is the daily stoic by Ryan holiday. And I have a book called Black Pearls, which is like a book of African-American uh, affirmation. And I've, and I've also added um, a, a Bishop T.D. Jakes book called Instinct to that as well. And so it's just like these these little verses and chapters. And it's like two pages long of just how you should just always follow your instincts and follow that inner guide that, that, that exists within you. So I, I read that. I read that throughout the day, often, all the time. Also on the subject of mental health, we spoke to rapper G Herba, who's been a big advocate for breaking the stigma of black folks in therapy. His album, PTSD, said more than enough, but he also let us know more about what incentivized him to go to therapy. Let's watch. Now I'm here with rapper and mental health advocate G Herbo. Thank you so much for being with us, G Herbo. I want to start with your album. You, yeah, you named your latest album PTSD. Clearly you have intention there. Tell us about the title and when you yourself went ahead and got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. I was inspired to name my album PTSD because I didn't really, you know, understand what it was and, and suffering from um, uh, any type of mental health, you know what I'm saying, disorder in any way. And when you think of PTSD, so many people associated with, uh, you know, going to war and, you know what I'm saying, veterans and stuff like that. But it's really just, you know what I'm saying, reliving any post-traumatic event, any type of event that um, affects your mental. 70%, at least 80% of us are suffering from this and we don't even know. And I was one of those people. And I just wanted right. to, you know, talk about that in, in a way where people could understand me and not more so judge me, you know. Well, Thank you know, you know I'm, I'm a big advocate of therapy. And one of my, the things yeah. my therapy says, G Herbro, is she, she says, ask yourself this before you say anything. E. Does this need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? And does yeah. it need to be said by me right now? And by the yeah. time I think through all that shit, <laughs> I've really calmed down, yeah, you know? Absolutely. So um, that's just a little no, tool that I think point. it'll work. And everybody got the different methods that work for them. You know, I think is you have to go, I think going to therapy will help you learn yourself, you know, learn more about yourself. Oh my God. Change, it changed your whole perspective, bro. So you have this fantastic initiative, right? You're um, working to give 150 black kids therapy yeah. for 12 weeks. And also they're yeah. gonna be um, allowed to have access to a therapeutic helpline. Tell me how that came about. So Swerving Through Stress was just really, um, it came from you know me going to therapy and, and, and therapy helping me and learning more about it and actually yeah. understanding that if I had this or had somebody to talk to when I was 14, 15 years old, when I really was you go. trying to find myself, I probably would be in a much better position in life. These kids are going through some shit, man. You know that a lot of mm -hmm. you don't know the kids that you see on a day to day basis. Their mothers are on drugs. Their fathers are in jail. Mm -hmm. They don't have, you know, enough support at home, enough love at home. They don't have the financial stability. Um, they're dealing with, you know, what I'm saying anger, aggression post-traumatic stress they're seeing their friends get murdered they're in fear of their life yeah. so now they want to carry a gun and then they carry a right. gun and they go to jail and they get out of jail and it's just a never-ending cycle you know what i'm saying so we gotta really get to the root of the problem and try to you know yeah. make a difference where we can make a difference all right we're gonna take a quick break now when we come back 
We're going to look back on that black ownership and equity conversation we had with Nori and Master P. We've got more Revolt Black News after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. So now we're going to look back at our conversations about black ownership and equity. Because injustices are not just happening in the streets, y'all. They're happening in boardrooms and in C-suites. And sadly, sometimes we don't even know about those injustices because we're not even in the rooms to begin with. So a few weeks ago, I spoke to Master P about black ownership. And y'all know he has always been about that life. Let's watch. All right, Master P. So tell us what the Global Mixed Gender Basketball League is and why did you start it? Well, it's about giving African-American women and just women in general an opportunity to get equal pay as men. All right. Speaking of equality, Master P, a place where we know that equality doesn't exist is in the NBA, right? We see almost 75 percent of the players on the court. Yep. They look like me and you. They are black men, but hardly any. Only two percent of teams in the NBA have black ownership. What do you account that for? And you yourself, you are one of the originators in the culture of ownership. Have you pursued NBA ownership? Not yet, because every time we go in there, they, they want to give us 1% minority ownership. And I'm like, no, we're going we're gonna to do something. We're going to control it. I think a lot of the athletes can come together, but they only looking at getting a paycheck. And those paychecks are big. But one day, these are going to run out. And my, my thing is, we're going to change that narrative. We need to start thinking about our value, our worth. I want ownerships of these teams. I'm not playing. What do you think, Master P, it would take um, for individuals like yourself, maybe the Jay-Z's of the world, black businessmen and women, uh, for us to see more black ownership in the NBA? We have to educate us as a culture. I think that we're not empowering each other. We have to celebrate each other for us to group up and do business together. If you look at other cultures, they are teaming up. We're not teaming up. We're trying to outdo each other. So I think that we got to realize we're stronger together. Even when you look at Black Lives Matter, you see all the unity walking in the streets. We are stronger together. We have more millionaires, but now we got to create more billionaires. So you're Mm. talking about a different business, a different tax bracket, but that come with education. Uh, We got to stop just running up and down the court. We got to stop just being musicians and entertainers and start understanding economics and uh, empowerment, start thinking banking, start thinking uh, putting the right people into office. Because even in the NBA, we can't get none of them teams if people look like us is controlling it. So we have to put the right people into the system. So we just, we want all this change, but we don't have the right people to fight for us. Even like what I'm doing right now with products. So... How are we going to get in the Walmarts and the Targets and all that stuff? And I tell people all the time, I don't pray for money. I pray for wisdom. It says in the mm. Bible, you pray for wisdom, everything else will come. Listen, Master P, you're making a lot of sense. What I hear you speaking about is the fact that when you're talking about trying to buy ownership stakes, majority ownership stakes, to be clear, yes. in the team uh, in the league, you're com- we're competing yes. against generational wealth of white people, white families. And so in order for us to compete, right, we have to collaborate. We have to come together and create a collaborative financial uh, position that allows us to compete with that generational wealth. That's brilliant. I've never heard it said just like that. And um, I think that's an important takeaway. Okay, so continuing the conversation about black ownership and equity, 
We also spoke to Nori and Tyler and John Sally about their black ownership experience in the cannabis industry. Let's watch. Now, Tyler, you've spoken about how the cannabis industry, as it stands currently, is projected to have uh, over $100 billion uh, accumulated over the next seven years. Not a lot of black people. The vast majority of the business side on the legal cannabis side of things, white or non-black. But we know with the war on drugs, it was black people getting locked up for weed everywhere. Many of them still are locked up right now as we talk about legal cannabis and all the money to be made. We know it's a lot of brothers and sisters locked up right now. Can you elaborate, Tyla, on uh, what motivates you to do this work uh, and making sure that we don't get left behind as a, as a culture? Well, the main reason why most Black people are left behind is because there's still a lot of stigma towards the cannabis plant as a whole, and that needs to be changed. It comes from education. The whole idea is Black people basically were the pioneers of this industry, and it's not fair that you go yeah. into a boardroom it's 90% white and we are that 10% if you will and so it's not cool and so we're trying to bring that recognition and as well as bring opportunities to other black leaders so that's why we've joined with social equity programs to promote other black um, businesses in the cannabis space um, we joined with Green Haven in California just to promote that no you see how smart she is that's She's right you did a good her. job yeah. you did a good job you did a good job <laughs> So, Nori, let me ask you this. Speaking to what Tyler and John just left off, the business side of it, who's in the room when you go to make these deals? Tyler already said it. John said it. You said it. A lot of these folks are white. They don't look like us. And to tell you the truth, even like, I mean, just like in every other culture, when you look at the what's, what's hip on the market, you look at, you know, it's, it's, it's a brand named Runts. It's a brand named Cookies. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, or you look at these hip, mm-hmm. these hip things. It's all made from our culture. We make, we, we make what's, exactly. what's hot hip. We make what's hot hit, and we tell you we we dictate to the customers. You know, look, this is this is this is what we're doing. Like from every uh, strand of weed, from sour diesel to 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 to, to cookies to 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 to, to cushments. It's us who are saying, yeah. yo, this is what to smoke, and the people go out there and they purchase that. So why not us own those actual businesses that we're saying to to, to go smoking and and go be a part of. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's why we're that's why we're doing this show. Thank you, Nori. That's why we're doing this show is because personally, and I'm gonna just tell y'all the, the truth. I'm not a weed person. I'm not a, a, a cannabis weed person. No judgment. It's just not my jam. I am very much so a money person. I'm very much so a money person. So therefore, there has got to be a place for me in the cannabis industry. So I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna start with you, Tyler and John. Then I'm coming to you, Nori. If I'm just a regular person on the street and I got $500, $1,000, $5,000, maybe $10,000, and I want to make an investment into cannabis, where do I start? I would honestly say invest in our company. Um, no, I think okay. that it would be the best well, thing to get into some type of social equity group because a collection of money just goes farther. I want to invest in things that I like. So I used to go to this, uh, I used to go to dispensaries in L.A. And there used to be this uh, uh, pre-road company called Lowell. So I got, got mm-hmm. I searched this company down and I got to be an investor in Lowell as well. I say, listen, man, I got 10 grand. This 10 grand means a lot to me. You know what I'm saying? I ain't right. trying to, I want to flip. And then you, 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 you do your research. You know what I'm saying? Me personally, I was invested in companies that I personally like. That I personally use, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm a Pinot Grigio mm-hmm. guy. You won't, you won't catch me, you know, investing into a, a Merlot company because you know why? I don't right. drink Merlot. Yeah. Dory, tell them so you funny. like sweet uh-huh. wine because you're black. 
You like sweet wine because you like. Okay, he's, he's a Muscatel He's a Muscatel guy. He's a Muscatel guy. You're a Muscatel too sweet. I'm too just being agreed. I'm sticking right there. We got to take another quick break. But when we return, we're bringing back the Black Agenda conversation with Daniel Moody and Dr. Wes Bellamy. More Revolt Black News on the way. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now, with the upcoming election, we would be remiss to not spotlight the important and productive conversation we had about the Black Agenda. Danielle Moody and Dr. Wes Bellamy joined, and I got straight down to prioritizing what our people need. Let's watch. Dr. Wes, if Black folks could have one or two agenda items passed through the next administration, what would you like them to be? I would think first and foremost, you would have to look at economic equity and ensuring that our folks have the opportunity to build wealth. And then 1A, because I wouldn't even say a second, 1A would be revamping the criminal justice system. I think at a bare minimum, every black civic organization should get on board with getting rid of qualified immunity. We see very firmly that police officers and individuals who are of the law enforcement persuasion will shoot kill, harm black men, black women, black trans folk, black people. As long as your, your mm-hmm. skin, the color of your skin is dark, you are at risk in terms of being harmed with very little retribution for those who mm-hmm. hold a badge or wear a badge. Uh-huh. So those two things for me, once again, making sure that we have economic equity, whether that be home mm-hmm. ownership, whether that be uh-huh. opportunities to start our businesses, whether that be just the opportunity to have fair wages, all of those things mm-hmm. are important for us. And then again, getting uh, to some kind of point in which we get rid of, of uh, qualified immunity. Danielle, what about you? If, if you had one or two political agenda items for Black folks specifically, what would they be? I think that we, we need serious criminal justice reform. We need also for folks that are coming out of prison to be officially reinstated with their voting rights. Right. We had this is this has been the way to disenfranchise our community, to silence our community by having people ratchet up charges. Right. Ratchet. We've seen this over and over again. Black person, white person commit the same crime. And we see the sentences not look the same at all. We see them get misdemeanors. We see us get federal charges, which means that we are then absent from the electoral system. We are disappeared completely. So I would like to see that reform so that we can gain our power back. Um, and it, uh, in terms of you know economic stability, you know what I wanna see truly is at the beginning, an investment in financial literacy in our schools. I want our children to start learning about wealth creation, not at the end, not when they're leaving college, if in fact they go, but at the beginning about what is important, how you do build wealth and why, what you can invest mm-hmm. in and why. And I think that that's incredibly important as a, as a former teacher to un, for people to understand that that doesn't begin at the end. It begins, you know, in preschool and kindergarten and teaching about, you know, what it means to be economically stable so that then you can grow well. Just really briefly, I, I love what Sister Lawrence said. She's absolutely right. I think to a certain extent also, we're just going to have to decide that no one else is going to save this. I know the work in which she's done. I mean, literally traveling across the globe, making sure that we have economic education, financial literacy and things of that nature through her several endeavors. I think that collectively as a group of people, we're just going to have to make a consistent and concerted effort to say, 
No one else is going to save us. We want financial literacy. Let's get some time to put into our communities ourselves to teach our folks. Those of us who have more resources, those of us who have a little bit more time, let's go back into our communities mm -hmm. and ensure that everyone else knows. Those of us who may be more inept and have a little bit more knowledge and information about political politics 101, how the criminal justice system works and things of that nature, we have to go into our communities and teach ourselves. I'm tired of asking anyone else to do for our people what we can do for us ourselves. I'm not begging or asking anybody else to join in and helping us. We are going to do this ourselves. And if you're down with that, I hope you join us at ourblackparty.org. All right, y'all. So we hope you enjoyed this special episode of Revolt Black News. Now, right now, I want to bring your attention to today's date. It's September 3rd, 2020. Now, that's important because we are exactly two months away from Election Day, November 3rd. Hear me when I say November 3rd will be here before we know it. And personally, I've never been so ready to vote in my entire life. Now, November 3rd is going to be here quick, and so is your opportunity to get your vote out early. Y'all, we can't get desensitized or discouraged in this moment because we're being inundated with push notifications to vote or we're seeing the overt tactics used to suppress our vote. Just like Wakanda refused to watch from the shadows, neither will we. It's like our King T'Challa said it best. Now more than ever, the illusions of division threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams. See you next time.